0: And that was the time when I realized that my whole trying to live like all the others is actually wrong, because God has called us to live a life differently. And so that was the night, basically, when I also... um, when I decided, and when I prayed again, I even cried. uh, (laughs) And I decided I want to follow Christ. I want to live that what I proclaim. And um, so it was... Pretty good in the beginning, and then over the year it got better or worse and worse. And mm-hmm. at some point, you know, like you reach next summer camp, and you're like, "Oh, I'm right there again." <laughs> <laughs> and so for me, a huge um, game changer came <laughs> when I when I turned 18 and I had to join the army. And so I knew I would be like separated from everything that I did <clears throat> before, and I would have to start pretty much like a life, like a start your identity all, all over. And so, right before that, it was again at uh, some other Christian camp, and, um, and there at the end of the week, we we had like a, a group of guys, we would meet every day, and so we decided, we talked about it, like, what do you want to change in your life? And that was that was actually two days before we joined the army, and so I was like, I want to live what I can claim. And so, what we did, we, we picked the flower, and we put that in the Bible as a reminder, um, I still have that flower in the Bible as a reminder that I wanted to live what I proclaim. And so the first day I started in the army, it was it was different because I knew um, that I wanted to live for that day. And so I still remember the first quiet time in the army because basically, when you start, you have, you, you start at 6 o'clock in the morning, it goes all the way to the 10, sometimes midnight, so you have no personal time. So I'm like, my first quiet time is always during lunch break in front of everyone because there was no other way. And so, after one or two days, everyone knew I was a Christian, so then I had to live it. But that was the time I decided I wanted to live what I proclaimed. And the great thing is this. You know, when we hear testimonies, we know that it's ultimately God who calls us. And so it's a testimony not of what I've done, but what the God did in my life. And this is also why it is so powerful, that we can say and we can remember and we can impact about what God did when He called us, um, and I want to tell you this as a uh, as I encourage uh, to encourage you all like to be sweet. If you don't know somebody, you can ask them like, "Hey, what, how has your life been with Christ? How have you been doing? What do you think about God, the Bible? How has He changed your life? Has He changed your life?" So I want to encourage you: just ask each other and get to know each other's testimony. And the second thing why I want to say that is because. When I was 16, the sermon that the uh, guy preached, that was actually Joe. And <laughs> I know if you remember the sermon probably not, but um, it was maybe just like small sentence that he said. Um, so I'm really excited that he's here now with us for this weekend and sharing with us uh, what it means for us to live as Christians, what is the mission of God. And, yeah. You Things about
1: David being a teenager. <laughs> Remember duct taping David? <laughs> Torturing David? Those are all good memories. <laughs> I'm uh, very happy to be here with you guys for this weekend. Um, my dad is in the military, and so I grew up moving all over. Lived in Germany uh, for a few years, lived in Korea for a few years. And so I know a lot of you, and some of you that are not from here. Are living in a different in a different culture in a different place, um, and I live in Texas now, which is a different culture in a different place. <laughs> it's barely part of the United States, <laughs> yeah, but uh, so. But I, I know what it's like you know, a little bit to live where you're not from. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting to know you. Um, I've been a pastor for 15, 16 years. Um, I have four kids. My oldest is 16 years old, youngest is 8 years old, he's almost 9, so I see a boy, 16, Noah, Ethan is 14, Emma is 11, I think she, she thinks she's 20, <laughs> and then Samuel is 8 and almost 9. Um, and I've been married to my wife, Ike, for almost 20 years, this song will be 20 years, um, which she has put up with me. She survives. survived, she gets a medal, she's 20 years old. So when I was talking to David about coming and teaching, he said, you know, like, like you've talked to us about what is um, what is our mission here on earth? And it's it's an important question. Yeah, you know, for us, the uh, people who would say that we are Christians, people who would say that we believe in Jesus, that the question of what is my mission here on earth as a Christian? What should it what should it look like? What do I do? Um, is is a question really no matter no matter what age, it's an important question. It doesn't matter if you are in your 20s, if you're in your 30s, your 40s. If you're in your, it doesn't, it's never a question that you should stop asking. Um, and so my hope is that this is not just a weekend where you kind of ask that question for a few days, find an answer, and never think about it again. My hope is that this is just the beginning of you asking that question. What is what is my mission? Um, before we get to that question, I think there's actually maybe a, a more important question. Um, that question... The, is really the question of why. And the question, uh, the word why, it's a very simple word, three letters, W H Y. But it is, it is a a word that um, can make you really think a lot. Because there are so many things that we do, and we don't ask the question, why? Um, So before we say, what is my mission? We need to talk about, Why, why do I exist? If you were to go and, and just walk along the street or ask somebody that you live near, why do you exist? What do you think they would say? <laughs>
0: Mommy and Dad. <laughs> 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 Mom and Dad, yes. In a, in a biological sense. That is, that is accurate.
1: What else? What, what else would they have? We'll, we'll have? some answers that you would hear? Say, why do you exist? To have
0: fun. have fun, yeah. Because of the food. <laughs> food to eat, I just well because of food because
1: food makes me alive. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yep. yeah. And food's great. And food's great. Yep. Or I
0: don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you probably get that
1: question a lot,
0: or that answer a lot, right? A lot. Oh, I don't know. Some people say, "Doesn't
1: really matter." What else? What are some other answers you think you would hear if you asked somebody, "Why do you exist? Why not? <laughs> well, why not?" <laughs> Yeah, which basically means I have no answer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the universe. What do you mean? What do you mean? It's um, the cosmic forces of the universe okay. and whatever's happening. Yep. Perfectly came together. Yeah, yeah it's just this, this freak occurrence of yeah. forces of nature, right? Mm-hmm. Fate. Yeah. Oh, faith? fate. Fate? Fate. Fate, yeah, fate, right? It could be, it just happened. There's there's not really any real reason, it just just is, right? Maybe because of Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe someone would blame Adam and Eve, yeah? It's your wife, do Show them that to you. <laughs> I'm <Fine, please>, why. <laughs> Tell them if we said hi. <laughs> is it an important call. Is it your mom? <laughs> <laughs> what is my mission, we say why do I exist? Because the why and the what, the question of why and what, they, they go together. Oh, okay. You know, why does, before you know what to do with this, you have to say, why does this exist? Right? And, and, and once you know why, then you know what to do with it. Well, the what is me sitting on it. The why is there for me to, to support me. we are there to give me rest. That's why it exists. What should I do? I should sit on it. And so before you ask what, we need to ask why. So when it comes to that question of, of why, um, we're going to look at a few different passages in our Bibles today. And I know we probably all have different versions of the Bible. I'll be reading out of a version called the ESV version. Um, and, yeah, and just over the weekend in general, if you have questions, like if we're reading a Bible passage and your Bible maybe uses a different word that you're not understanding, feel free to ask a question about that. Or, you know, even when we're not in meeting, if you guys have questions, feel free to ask. Um, so, but if you would first turn and to the book of Psalms. Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. The book of Psalms, and look at Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 1, says this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Why, when when the Bible talks about heavens, they usually don't mean just heaven, you know, where God exists. They mean something broad or something bigger. So what what is David saying here about why Heaven and really, why all creation exists? What is he saying in verse one? Why does creation exist? Tell about the glory of God, tell about the glory of God right? Declare means means to, to tell it, right? When you when you declare something, you say something, um, and or proclaim. Um, anybody have a display? Anybody's Bible say display? Maybe maybe another way to think about it. The difference between declare and display. You know, declares your your words display is something that you show, and so you you tell about the glory of God and you show the glory of God. That's why creation exists, right? How does how does creation do that? How does creation tell or show the glory of God? Just okay, my me. Okay, that's fine me. That it works that it works okay mostly sure that, like, when you think about like, all the ecosystems and everything that's set up like, there's a lot of I mean if you study science at all and you study the earth and, I mean there's like a lot of moving parts that like they don't just randomly happen like it was designed in a very specific way right okay how else like when you when you walk outside and you see the beautiful mountains around you how does that declare the glory of God by, by existing by existing okay but, but what does it tell you about God well that's pretty awesome <laughs> what sorry pretty awesome pretty awesome yeah so I mean God God made that right and, and you, you are meant to walk outside and you're, not, you're meant to see the beautiful hills around you or you're meant to see the, the gorgeous flowers and you're meant to be amazed at who God is because he made that like he designed that I mean he uh, when you think about all the different kinds of flowers there are all the different kinds of trees there are I mean he invented all of those I mean, if I was designing all the flowers and trees, there'd be like two kinds, maybe, you know, because I'm not very creative. But I mean, his creative abilities are amazing. When, when you think of the ocean, right? What is what would the ocean declare to you about God? What does the ocean tell you about God? The
0: vastness. The vastness, the vastness, how
1: huge, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What the else? The mystery. The mystery, right? And there's there's some parts that like, the you the don't theme see. Theme yeah, no doubt. And so there's there's element of mystery there. What else? The depth, yeah. I mean, and the, the water is powerful thing, right? I and mean, you've seen a, a, you've seen the tsunamis and the, and the total devastation that a tsunami can can bring to a place. I mean, the water is is, is powerful. Right? When you think of everything, all the all the creatures within the water, right? Again, the creativity of God to design all of those sea creatures, all the different kinds of fish. I mean, all of creation. Every time you walk outside. And you look and you see the beauty around you, whether it's the mountains, whether it's the oceans, whether it's the creatures in them, whether it's the trees, whether it's the flowers, whether it's this beautiful sky, a thunderstorm rumbling in, right? You see just the the power of that lightning. You know, all of creation, according to Psalm 19, is meant to tell you about the awesomeness of God. It's meant to tell you about the glory of God, the greatness of God. But that's not all. Flip to the beginning of your Bible. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is where he made creation that we just read about in Psalm 19. And in chapter 1, you see that he goes and he takes the emptiness and he fills it. He takes things that were unformed and he forms them. And in verse 26 of Chapter 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion the over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And So, man, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So not only do we have creation in terms of trees, and flowers, and birds, and fish, and oceans, and mountains, and all of that. But another aspect of creation is us, right? But we're we're different than all the rest of creation. Right? How are we different? According to Genesis chapter 1. Made in the
0: likeness of God.
1: Made in the likeness of God. Are we the creation of God? Yes. But we have have a very special role. Because you and I are made as his image. When When the Bible talks about being made as an image. It's talking about the idea of something that represents something else, something that is a picture of something else. When when a, a king a, a king would wear a ring whenever he would um, whenever he would make a decree of any kind, he would often take a ring and he would put his symbol on it. Mm-hmm. And anybody who saw the symbol of the king knew that that was that was the king's power. That was the king's. Power. Sometimes the king would even have a staff. Right when when the king would go out of uh, out of country to another place, he would leave his staff with the person in charge. And whoever had that staff, had the image of the king, everyone else had to obey that person like a king. God has made us as his image. He has created us in his likeness. And he has left us here to rule in his place. And we have the very same purpose, although we can fulfill that purpose in a way that no other part of creation can. Because you and I are are not just a creation of God, We are his masterpiece. Flip all the way to the New Testament. Ephesians. Chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, 9, and 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Here's the important part. For we are his workmanship. For we are his workmanship. And another, uh, the the Greek word there is the word poema, which is where the English word home comes from. And it's the idea of an artistic creation that God has made. So God has made some wonderful things. He's made some things that you look at and are amazing. They are beautiful, they are strong, they are mighty. You, you see them, and it's just unbelievable. Voice, it? Excuse me. Uh, verse 10. Beginning of verse 10. For we are his workmanship, it says in the English, masterpiece, um, some other type. So you and I, we have, in a sense have the same purpose, but we can, we we fulfill that purpose in a way that no other part of creation can. Because we are his masterpiece. We are are the, the most prized possession that he has made. Because we are made in his likeness. And so you and I, the reason why we exist is to display and to declare the awesomeness of God, the glory of God, the greatness of God as the ones who have been made as his image. That means that people should be able to look at us. People should be able to watch us. People should be able to listen to the words that we say what we do and don't do. And they should get an idea of what God is like. The question is, is that, is that at all part of your thinking in terms of the way you live your life? Because there are so many people with so many different answers to the question of why do you exist. If, if your answer to the question of why do I exist is to have fun, that's, that's going to make an, an impact in all of your decisions, right? That's going to make a decision It's going to impact the way you spend your money. That'll probably impact the way you spend your time. That'll impact the way you use you, 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 the words that you say, even the thoughts that you think. If my the reason why I exist is to have fun, if the reason why I exist is to is to make money, well, that's gonna that will impact the way that I spend my time, spend my money, use my words, right? If, that, if that's my reason to exist. If the reason why I exist is because I want to. Uh, I'm going to get as much power over people as I possibly can. Well, then I'm going to say things a certain way. I'm going to do certain things. I'm going to spend my money in a certain way. I'm going to spend my time in a certain way. And so the question of why do I exist is, is a, a big question. It's an important question. And one that you've got to come back to time after time after time again. Because we're, we're pretty forgetful people. And we have a tendency to, to maybe think of it at one point in time, but then we wake up the next day and we start living our life According to maybe our, what our sin would, would say is the reason why we exist versus what God's Word says. But the reason why you exist, the reason why I exist, the reason why everybody exists is to display and to declare the glory and the greatness of God. And that's why the question is, okay, what does that look like? Right? That's, it's one thing to say that, but what, is, what does that look like in practice? And for that, I want you to turn to the book of 2 Peter, all the way to the right. 1st and 2nd Peter, right before 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and June, Revelation. That's after Hebrews and James. So if the answer to why we exist is to display and to declare the glory and grace of God then what is our mission becomes a little bit of a, of a clear verse. Clear yes, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. So I'll be starting in, in verse 3. Verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now when Peter says his, who, does he, who is he talking about? When he says his divine power. Yahweh. Okay, even more. Even more, though, is the, probably Jesus, in, in terms of the context of this. I mean, obviously, same. saying, but... But so, the power of Christ has, has given to you, the power of God has given to you, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us, to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. What do you think he means when he says you have become partakers of the divine nature? Does anybody have a different translation, a different way that it's said in their Bibles? Verse four. Participate.
0: In.
1: Participate in
0: what? The divine nature. The divine
1: nature. Okay. So so participate, partakers, and then again, that the divine nature is the idea that you and I are made as God's image. Right? That's, the, that's the divine nature, that we can participate in, in be, and be who we were made to be. We were made to be the image of God. And so it says that he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and Godliness. So we have we have all things in the knowledge of us by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So in verse 3, we see that his divine power, so we have power, right? And then in verse 4, we have promises. We have power and we have promises that have been given to us. When it says promises, what do you think? What kind of promises is he talking about? It says he has granted to us his precious and very great promises in verse four. What kind of promises has he granted to us? He promised the eternal life. Okay, there's one promise. What else? What are some other gospel promises that he has made to us? Coming to earth. He's going to come back and give us. That, is, is that what you're referring to? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yep. So there's a promise that he's coming back without doubt. What else? Grace, what the promises. grace will be sufficient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His grace will be sufficient. That's a very good promise. Right? That means for everything, he will supply the grace that you need. You will never be lacking. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a promise that he's made. Okay? So his power and his promises have been given to us. And it says, and look at verse 5. It says, for this reason. Okay, for the reason that he is, he's given us the power, he's given us the promises, in verse 5, for this reason, make every effort, and look at, look at this list that he gives us here, in verse 5. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, steadfastness, steadfastness, godliness, and godliness with brother affection, and brotherly affection with love. That's, that's quite a list, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I look at that list, and I would love... For that list to be true of me, I mean, when I think about the ways that I could display the glory of God to people, here's a here's a list of, of, of ways that if we lived according to this list—self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love—would you say that we were we were doing what we were made to do? I think so. Okay. So these these are these are. You can call them fruits, right? Because you see, I mean, does anybody know the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? You, you see some, some overlap there between that list in Galatians 5 and what you see here. Self-control, right? Love. So there, there's it's all it's all kind of the same idea. So you have these, these fruits. Now, these fruits are things. What, what, what do fruits tell you? Like well, what why is fruit a good thing? Nourishing. It's nourishing, right? Yeah. What do you need to have fruit? Seed. You gotta have the seed, right? That turns into a tree, and the tree then produces fruit. And you take that's you take the fruit off and that's what is you eat it, right? It's nourishing, it's good, it's when you when you go and you see a fruit tree that has a lot of apples on it, you're like, Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's a pretty tree. And but even more, the tree's useful for something. Right? I mean, if if you have an apple tree that never, ever bears any apples, what do you end up doing with the tree? You get rid of the tree. You cut the tree down, right? I mean, what good is it? If the apple tree doesn't make apples, it's a waste. Right? The orange tree doesn't make oranges? Nobody wants an orange tree that doesn't make oranges. Does anybody want a lemon tree? We find lots of citrus down in Texas. Lemon tree that makes lemons? No. You don't want that. If a (coughs) fruit tree does not bear fruit, it's a waste. alright? <laughs> and so when you see these, these fruits here, that's, that's part of what your mission is here on earth as a Christian. Your mission is to, is to bear fruit that he's talking about. Now look at the reason why he says this doesn't happen in verse 8. It says, For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Alright, so if these qualities are yours, then you are not unfruitful. Which means that if these qualities are yours, then what? You're Fruitful. Okay, so if these qualities are yours, it keeps you from being ineffective and unfruitful. And that's what we want, right? As Christians, at at the end of our lives, is there anybody who hopes, and I hope I'm ineffective, and I hope that I'm unfruitful? You know, when, when you're getting ready to die, you're going to look back at, I'm so happy that I was unfruitful with my life. Great life. Yeah, I mean, no one's going to come up and thank you for being ineffective, right? Thank you so much, Sean. You're the most ineffective person I know. Right? Nobody's going to thank you for being ineffective. Nobody's going to thank you for being unfruitful. All right? Are you because because of compliments Yeah. 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 <laughs> so nobody's going to thank you for those things. Right? nobody wants to be ineffective or unfruitful I mean, we don't want that said about us and what Peter is telling us here is that in order to be effective in order to be fruitful these, these are the qualities that you should have which again, that matches with the fruit of the spirit which we'll get to in a little bit but look at what Peter says about these not being there in verse 9 whoever lacks and again, we don't want this. Whoever lacks these qualities, whoever is, unf- is another way to say, it, whoever is unfruitful, whoever is ineffective, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So, what does Peter say about the reason why people are unfruitful? Because they forgot about. They forgot about what. I'm sorry? They forgot about who they are. They forgot about who they are. They forgot about who they are in Christ. They forgot that you are cleansed from your former sins. What he's talking about is is the gospel. Right? When you forget why you were made. When you forget that God created you as his image. When you forget that he created you in his likeness. And so you should strive to live in a Christ-like manner. When you forget that... These, these qualities, they're, not, they won't be yours. But if you remember that,
0: then, then you'll be fruitful. And so the promise that we see here is that He
1: has given you the ability to bear fruit. He has made you as His image. He has made you as His likeness. He fashioned you like Himself. Because He wants you to go and bear fruit. So think about that. As you bear fruit, right... What would people, if they see you bearing fruit, what would they say? I mean, if, if you drive by a farm, right, and this farm has the most beautiful apple trees and orange trees that you've ever seen in your entire life, what would you say about the farmer of that farm? Great farmer. He's a great farmer, right? That's the most beautiful, beautiful farm I've ever seen. He must be the world's best farmer ever, right? This guy must be unbelievable. As we bear fruit. That says that it does the same thing about God, right? When people see fruit in our lives, they, they see that fruit, and they should say, wow, God is amazing. That he can bear fruit that looks as beautiful as that, as lovely as that, as, as knowledgeable, as self-control, as godly, as, as loving as, as that. So I hope we see that, that connection between mm-hmm. God created you So that people look at you, as you tell people about him, as you show people about him, people say, wow, God is amazing. God is is wonderful. He is. He's awesome. He's powerful. He's mighty. He's wise. He's loving. He's merciful. He's gracious. And so the the why you exist has a lot to do with the what. Why do you exist? You exist to display and to declare the glory and greatness of God. You exist to show and tell this world about God. What you should do in light of that is is bear fruit. Go and bear fruit. But again, I mean, to be honest, if if that's all you got out of this weekend and you remembered that, I'd be great with that. But I, I hope there's more because what I'd like to talk about over these these next. Tonight and then tomorrow is like. What does that look like, right? Because I mean, you could say that, but if you don't, if you don't talk about some of the the practical details of that. All they are is just these these big, huge biblical
0: truths, which are good. It's not the idea. But you have to say, okay, what does that what does that look
1: like? And not only that, but what how what does it look like when there's a, there's a lot of ugly, nasty Thorns and, and bad stuff in my life that, that sin produces. How do I go from being somebody who has has thorn bushes and and, and just thistles in my life, you know, bushes that, that don't bear fruit or that just every time you go by them, you, know, you guys are, I'm sure you have bushes here where you walk by them and you get a they, they, will, they will poke you or they will even cut you. Um, we have there's one tree that we have in Houston. It's called the Sago palm. It is a, it's a tree about about that big. And it's, it's got a very thick trunk. But it's got these um, very long branches that stick out from the sink. And if you even touch it, it it'll poke you. And, and they hurt a lot. I don't know why people like them. They have them in their yards all over the place. They're poisonous to dogs. like dogs eat them and they die. Um, <laughs> but people still plant them. I have no idea why. Um, but th- those are the kind of... like Every time I, I go by a that has this, I'm like, why would you, that's an ugly tree, why would you have it? I mean, it looks like just a short little dumpy palm tree that's, you know, it hurts every time you touch it, and we had, I actually dug one up in our yard the other day, and I had to get gloves, because the, the trunk itself, you can't, you can't even pick it up at a trunk, because the trunk is, is has all the sharp prickers all over it, and so again, it's the worst tree ever, made. but to be honest, like, some of those, some of our lives look like that, Right? I mean, some of some of our lives are filled with those kind of, of stickers, those kind of thorns, because of, because of sin, because we are sinful people. So how do you go from being someone whose life has those thorns, has those those thorn bushes in there, to being someone who has a life that is, is more of that fruit tree, where you are bearing fruit? And that's, that's really what we're going to talk about Um And I hope that by the end of it, you understand not just the why and the what. What does that look like for you on a day-to-day basis? And what's the process where you can actually help other people bear fruit? Right? Because this is this is not just about you. We we are made to live in community. I mean, God Himself is a community, right? You have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit, and and we are meant. We're meant to reflect God, and then part of reflecting God, part of being God's image, is to reflect community as well. And so we need one another. And you, we need one another to bear, to help each other bear fruit. I need you guys to help me bear fruit. You need me to help you bear fruit because we're made to be in community with each other. And so this is not just about you. Don't, don't. I don't want you to walk away thinking, well. I need to make myself better. I've got to do this. This is about one another. So the more we all have the same understanding about bearing fruit, the more we can help each other bear fruit in one another's lives, which is us helping each other do what God made us to do. So there are... So let me tell you, tomorrow morning, what we're going to talk about is how you take... The idea of, of taking... Suffering in life and hard things in life because all, all of our life is filled with, with moments of heat. If you think of moments of heat um, and the heat being suffering, sometimes there's small ways that we suffer, sometimes there's very major ways that we suffer. But all of our days, you know, if you, if you slam your hand in the door, right, it's a, a small moment of heat, right? But it's suffering, right? Very physical, painful suffering. If somebody walks up to you and says, I hate you and never want to see you again, it's a little bit bigger piece of suffering, but it's still another moment of heat. You get fired from your job, right? Or you, um, or David decides to kick you out of this group, you know, it's, it's, a, it's another kind of, of suffering. You know, there's all of our lives are filled with moments of, of suffering, moments of heat. Um, and so, how so we're going to talk about taking those moments of heat, and it's, it's those moments of heat that will produce that can produce sinfulness, but. So we're going to talk about that that process tomorrow, how the moments of heat become moments of sinfulness. And then tomorrow night we're going to talk about how through God's word and what he says can those very same moments of heat, right, how can those become actually things that will cause you to bear fruit? Because it's impossible to, to to create a life that is free from suffering. It's not going to happen. Because we live in a broken world. And until Jesus comes back or until you die, you will live in a broken, sin-filled world. And as long as that's the case, there will be suffering. And so the secret to bearing fruit in your life is not to, not to reduce the suffering. That's not the secret. Oftentimes we think it is, right? We think, man, if I, could, if I could just do this, or if I could just get this kind of job, if I could just live here, if I could... That's, that's not the key to bearing fruit. The key to bearing fruit is that no matter the situation, no matter if the situation is bad, which a lot of them are, or good, how do I take that good or bad situation, and how can that good or bad situation become something that actually results in fruit? So we'll talk about we're talk about the bad part of that tomorrow morning, and then we'll talk about the good part of that tomorrow night, and then we'll, we'll kind of talk about the entire thing on Sunday morning. But before we get to that, there's three, there's three. Foundational truths. A good foundation is important to a house. What happens if you have a house built on a bad foundation? It collapses. It collapses, right? In Texas, one of the things about foundations is it often will rain there a lot and then it will not rain for a long time. And so the ground moves and the ground will shift and foundations will crack. It happens all over the place. There are many businesses and their business is is fixing foundations, right? if your foundation cracks, if your foundation is broken, your house is going to fall. And so, I want to lay a little bit of a foundation tonight for you. And the foundation there's there's three there's three truths. The first one is this: that God is the cause of all of our fruit bearing. God is the cause of all of our fruit bearing, and another way to say fruit bearing is maybe change, or transformation. He is the cause of all of our fruit bearing. I mean, in in 2 Peter, we've already seen a little bit of that, right? In verse 3, it says His divine power that He's given us, His promises that He's given us. And so, in in 2 Peter, we've already seen, partly, that it is is God who has given us everything that you need. He's, He's given us everything you need, that no matter what situation you are in, you can bear fruit. Think about that. No matter what situation you are in, you think of the worst situation you could ever possibly imagine. Maybe it's the death of somebody that you love, maybe it's financial bankruptcy, or whatever the worst situation is that you can imagine. God has given you the power, and He has given you the promises that you can bear fruit in the worst of situations. Because He is the cause of all of our fruit bearing, according to Second Peter but we see that also. Flip to the left to the Gospel of John. And David actually preached on this passage a few weeks ago, John chapter fifteen. So the second Peter shows us that he has given us power and promises to go and bear fruit. And in John chapter fifteen. This is Jesus talking. So Jesus is getting ready. Jesus is getting ready to go and die. He's getting ready to face the worst situation actually in the history of all of mankind. In John chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So, first of all, you see these two branches, right? What's the difference between the two branches that Jesus is talking about? Ones that so bear fruit and
0: ones that don't. Ones that bear
1: fruit, ones that don't. Right? What happens to the ones that don't bear fruit? They get cut off. Cut off. Well, what happens to the ones that do bear fruit?
0: They get grafted. They get what?
1: Grafted. grafted? Uh, well, they are grafted in. So to be grafted in means that, that you, are, you are attached. Mm-hmm. Okay? It says that he prunes them. Does anybody have another word besides prunes? prunes groom? to cut. Um, yeah, he so says cool. she to groom. Oh, to groom, yeah, groom, yeah. Okay. So he now that doesn't. It's almost a little bit unexpected, right? Because you would almost expect, okay, the branches <laughs> that don't bear fruit get thrown away. The branches that do get that do bear fruit. Great job, yeah, it's well done, right? I mean, that's what you would expect, you know, that some sort of praise for bearing fruit. But he doesn't say that. He says instead they get groomed, which. That's a painful process, right? I mean, pruning, I mean, when you you prune a, um, or when you groom a a rose bush, right, you actually cut off part of the live part of the tree, of of the bush, right? Why do you do that?
0: It grows nicely. It grows nicely. And actually,
1: it it, it actually grows better than if you wouldn't do that. And again, first of all, who is doing the pruning? God God is. Right, Because again, he is the cause of all of your fruit bearing. And so God will prune you. God will groom you. In other words, God is going to do his work in your life because he wants you to be even more fruit bearing. That's, the, that's what he's called you to do. He has called you to bear fruit. So that as people see the fruit, they look at it and they say, "Man." I wonder who planted those trees. Look at how beautiful that fruit is. Look at how amazing that fruit looks. Whoever it is that planted those trees, that are bearing that fruit, he must be pretty awesome. That's why God made you. Question? Or are you just scratching? I'm just scratching. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. So God, God is the cause of all of our fruit bearing.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, are only Christians meant, or like even non-Christians, like people who don't believe in, in God, are there good deeds also from God? Like That's
1: a great question. In, yeah. That's a great question. Are there good deeds from God? You know, and that goes to the question of why. Because you can do something that looks good, but if good the reason good. why you're doing it is more selfish... Yeah. Even even for us who are Christians, right? If the reason why we are doing something is so people look at me and think how wonderful I am, and how great I am, and how smart I am, then that good thing is actually it's not true. it's so a great question. So the question of that's why the question of why is so very important. So he wants us to bear fruit, and he wants us to, to bear more and more fruit. But again, is is this what you are hoping for? I mean, do you find yourself hoping that I hope God prunes me today so I can bear more fruit? I mean, it's it's usually not, right? Why do we not hope this? Like, what keeps us from hoping that God would do His his work in us to cause us to bear more fruit? (laughs) Painful process, suffering, right? I mean, suffering is the primary tool that He uses to do that oftentimes. Suffering is suffering is a tool that God uses to prune us, and it's a tool that that is the most often used tool that He has. But He uses it for good purposes. He, 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 suffering doesn't come your way because you deserve it. Like that's not the way God. That's not the way God thinks. God doesn't think. Well, I guess uh, I guess yesterday because Chris forgot to read his Bible. but Today his days have been really bad. I'm going to make his day bad That's not the way God thinks. God God doesn't do that. That's not the kind of, of, of thoughts that he has because all of Chris's sins that he did commit yesterday, they've already been paid for. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus hung on the cross, when Jesus died in our place, he became my substitute. And so every sin that I have already committed and every sin that I will commit for the rest of my life, Jesus has already been punished in my place. And so, if God punishes me too, what does that say about the punishment that Christ had to endure? It wasn't enough. Right? If God punishes me too, after he already punished Jesus, then that means Jesus' punishment wasn't enough. And Jesus' punishment was enough. Jesus' sacrifice was enough. So the bad stuff that happens to us isn't because God is getting us back you know, and I really wasted my time yesterday. God is so giving me back for the way my day is going today. It's horrible. You know, or I didn't spend my money well last month, so God caused my car to break down this month, so I have to pay two thousand dollars to fix my car. That's God giving me back for the way I poorly spent my money. You know, or I said this to that person yesterday, and so God caused this person to say something to me today. That's that's how a lot of people think. That because I did this bad thing yesterday, this bad thing happens today. Because I did this good thing yesterday, this good thing happened today. It's karma.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but that's, that's not, it's, Yeah, it's the whole karma thing, right? Yeah. That's not the way God works, though. God uses suffering as a tool. And He uses it to increase our fruitfulness. Because He is the one who causes all of our fruitfulness. But again, is that what you hope for? Is that what you find yourself even praying for? Right? And if, if it won't be hoped for. In the future, it it has a big impact on how we live our present day. Right? What I'm hoping happens, if, if I hope that I live in a bigger house one day, how will that how will that have presence how will that impact on the present day? If that's my hope of a bigger house. I won't focus
0: on making the house I'm in now next.
1: Sure. I'm you know, focused on um, you know, probably greedy and trying to make more money and save more money. It's almost going to give less away. Right? My future hope, what I hope for in the future impacts my present life. Right? If, if, I, if I hope, um, if, if my hope is being, is one day all of my kids coming back and saying, you were the best dad ever. right? That, that, that's my hope. That one day they'll do that that's going to probably have some negative implications, uh, some negative impact in my life right now, some bad impact in my life. That might cause me to not punish them now, when they should be punished, because I, mean, I don't want to do anything that's going to help them think that I'm a bad dad, so therefore I'm not going to punish them, even though they deserve to be punished. Right? What we hope for in the future has a lot of impact on how you live right now in the present. And so are, are you at all hoping for God to to prune you, to increase your fruitfulness. So the first first truth is that God is the cause of all of our fruit bearing. Secondly, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. (laughs) Hebrews, I'm sorry, so 2 Corinthians comes right after uh, Romans, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, so before those. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The second truth is this. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is the means of your change. God is the cause of your change. God the Father is the cause of it. But your relationship with Jesus is the way he changes you. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. There's the important verse verse 2. I, this is Paul, I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Does anybody have another word besides betrothed? Gave I gave you? Yeah, I gave you to one husband. Promised you? Okay. What is this saying about our relationship with Jesus? What's Paul saying here about that? How does Paul describe your relationship with Jesus?
0: What's the what's the the illustration he uses? A Bride, in the
1: room, right? Yes. Marriage. You guys are going to get married, right? When do you get married? Um, August, only a few months away. Um, so, marriage is a wonderful thing, but it's it is it is difficult. It's a challenge because you have two people that have their own lives, have their own way of doing things, have their own thoughts and have their own opinions, and those two people become one. Physically, right, but also emotionally and even in a spiritual sense as well. It's, it's a difficult process when two people become one. And so what Paul is talking about is that you have become one with Jesus. That, that's, that's the way he's describing it. So in other words, when when you get married to somebody, they become like you a little bit, and you become like them a little bit. Yeah, the hope is that you become like them in their good ways, and so they become like you in their good ways. That's the hope. Sometimes it doesn't happen, um, But that, that's, that's what happens over the course of being married together. You are being you are married to Christ. So the hope there is that in your marriage to Christ that you become like him. And as you become like him, God uses your marriage to Christ to create in you more fruit. So if, if, if that's true, if you become like the one that you are married to, then you've got to say, okay, what is Jesus like? And for that, turn to turn to Colossians chapter 1. If you think about it, if you were married... I mean, who you're married to, it impacts life for you, right? So if you were married to somebody who is a great car mechanic, what could, you, what could you assume? Learning a lot about cars. Learning a lot about cars? Yeah. Could you assume that your cars are always going to be working? Yeah, right? Hopefully, hopefully. If you're married to somebody who is an accountant, what would you, what would you probably assume about your own finances? They're going to be, right? if you're married to somebody who's an accountant and your finances are horrible, yeah, anyway, we'll leave that alone. If if you're married to a doctor, right, what can you assume about whenever you're sick?
0: They're going to take care
1: of you, right? So your marriage, your marriage to someone and what they're like, it does. It, it, It has an impact on your life. So, If we are married to Jesus, and that's what what Paul was saying, in Corinthians, if we're married to Jesus, then we need to know what he is like, because what he is like should shape the way we think about life. So look at Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. Let's stop there just for a second. It says he is the one, verse 16, by whom all things were created. Right, he is the creator of all things. So since he is the creator of all things, how should that change the way we we think? Created us. Created us, yep. Takes away fear. Takes away fear, right? He's the creator of everything. Why would we be afraid if he's the creator of all, right? Um, If, verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together, all right? If, If we are married to the one, who holds all things together? How should that shape the way we think? I well,
0: we can't really fall apart
1: anymore. Not unless he wanted to, right? I mean, the idea that there's chaos or chance or or randomness or fate, right? That doesn't that doesn't exist. He's the one who holds all things together so, you see, I mean, what else do you see about how, how Paul describes Jesus here? What are some other things that you see that describe him? That everything is
0: also made for him? It's all made for him, right? So if everything was made for him, then how should how should that impact the way we think? Well, then... But we're not living for ourselves. It's not for us, right? He's the one who's the main point, right? I mean, it's all about Him because all things remain for
1: Him. And we're married to Him. And so, therefore, our lives, too, should be about Him. So, Paul goes on and talks about this idea of you being married to Christ. And because you are, Jesus is the one that God is using to cause you to change. He's causing you to grow in your fruit. He's causing you to bear more and more and more fruit. But if we're honest with ourselves, when it comes to this idea of, of being married to Jesus or promised in marriage to Jesus, we, we, we play the part of being unfaithful. To him. Right? There's lots of other things that, that we look to and, and that we give our, our love to instead of Jesus. What are some things that we give our love to instead of Jesus? I don't Okay. Like what? Like other people. Other people? Sure. Other people? People that make us feel good? Right? People that that make us feel better about ourselves? What else? What else do we give our love to beside Jesus? Money. Money? Yeah. Fame. Parents. Parents? Okay. Traditions. (laughs) Traditions? Yeah. Like what? Traditions? What are you thinking? Um, Instead of... Sunday now going to church and pray and sit with people just do something else because this is what these people have been doing since ages so I okay. keep on doing it yeah just keep doing it just just because right not because of it, uh, you, you, you have too much confidence in traditions being yeah. being something that like is like meet on Sundays with the family is yeah. what they do yeah. Yeah. yeah and so you see all these things you see who Jesus is and, and our love for him that should be there because of what he's done yet yeah, we we are unfaithful to him but God is saying, hey, Jesus is the one that is the way of them changing, change you. Which is which is what the gospel is, right? That, that's, the gospel is our relationship with Jesus. And when I say the gospel, what I mean is, is the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, when Jesus went up to heaven, and the promised return of Christ. That's, that's the gospel. That's the good news. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the way that God changes us. See, God God is holy and he is perfect. And he created us to show people that, to tell people about that. But our sin has instead been the thing that has has grown in our hearts to the point that we want people to think how wonderful we are. We want people to think how great we are. that's not why God made us. And when, again, when you make something and it's not fulfilling its purpose, usually what you do is you throw it out. And God had that choice. He could have done that. When sin entered the world, he could have done away with everything. He could have just started over if he wanted. But instead, he sent Jesus. And Jesus, he paid. He paid our punishment. He was punished in our place. And then God remade us. He removed all the sin. He made us able to do what we were made to do. And because now, in Christ, when you are when you put your faith in Him. When, when God looks at you, what He sees is Jesus. When God looks at you, all, all of Jesus's words and His thoughts and His actions. When you put your faith in Christ, God considers those to be your words and your thoughts and your actions. And what do you think? What do you think God thinks of Jesus? What's God's opinion of Jesus?
0: Um, but.
1: Pretty positive, right? <laughs> I'm sinless, only begotten Son, right? <laughs> God has that same opinion of you when you put your faith in Him. I mean, think about that for a second. But think how much God loves Jesus. I mean, this is the sinless son, right? I mean, His love for Jesus is. God's love for Jesus is more than we can even imagine. And when you put your faith in Him, He has that very same love for you. So his his pruning of you, his grooming of you to be fruit bearing, it's, it's not done out of punishment. It's done out of love. Because he wants to make you more and more into the image of Jesus. The one that you and I have put our faith in. And so God is the cause of our fruit bearing, Jesus is the way that he does that. And last. Want you to see that community is the is the context, is the way that the Holy Spirit does it. Um, turn if you would to our last passage, Hebrews 10. Hebrews James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, first, second, third down revelations towards the back. Hebrews chapter 10. So throughout throughout the Bible, the example that we see is not about the individual, but it's about community. It's about, it's about togetherness. Now most of the world says, hey, just worry about yourself. Do whatever is good for you. But what we see over and over and over again is more of an us. It's, it's a we, being part of, part of the family of God. My right? brothers and sisters. And you see that you see this. In Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us, through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw in near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So you see what the writer of Hebrews does, right? He says, because of this, in verse 19, since we have confidence because of the blood of Jesus. So because of the blood of Jesus, you can actually go into the presence of God. So since this, in verse 19, since we have Jesus as a great high priest, then because of that, in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart. In 23, let us hold fast to our hope without wavering. And in 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to good works. So you can see this element of community where you are called to be a part of one another's life. That's why, that's why this weekend, you know, we're going to spend some of our time talking about the Bible and, and singing and doing this. But there's going to be a lot of other time when I mean, you're sitting around and you're playing cards, or maybe you're outside and you on a hike, and you're talking. And some of you crazy people are going to get up and do a workout tomorrow morning at six thirty. You know, you're going to do all sorts of stuff, right? And the part when we're sitting here talking about Bible and singing songs—that's not the only. That's not the only spiritual part of this weekend. You guys just hanging out and talking with one another. You guys building community with one another. You guys getting to know one another. If, if you don't get to know one another by the end of this weekend, then you've missed out on a huge part of what God is trying to do. Because He is trying to use this community in your life. He wants to use the other people here to, to help you be more fruitful. But how do you do that if you don't get to know anybody? So this weekend, I, I want to challenge you. You may be, you know, I'm not the most super outgoing guy in the world. Alright, there's people, there's this guy in my church, his name is Bo. This guy knows... <laughs> everybody in the... I think I feel like he knows everybody in the city of Houston. I mean, this guy is like crazy outgoing guy, right? And anybody standing next to him <coughs> looks like the most quiet person in the world. <laughs> anyway, that, so the, there are those kind of people, and there are some of you here that are like that. That's, that's not me. You know, I, I've, I've got to sometimes work it. I'm not the person sitting in the corner and chair by myself either, but I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. right? But... There are some of you that it's gonna be really easy for you to get to know everybody. There's some of you that would probably just prefer to sit in a corner, you know, stare at your phone or wall or something else, right? <laughs> <laughs> the same.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you could do that, we just make
0: fun of you a weekend long, that's fine. <laughs> um,
1: but what i want to challenge you is get to know your other brothers and sisters here. This is this is part of a church family. You need one another. God is trying to use you. To stir, to stir other people up to love the works. That's, that's fruitfulness. The Holy Spirit wants to use you in other people's lives over the course of just this weekend. So get to know people. Ask questions. If, if you don't know where they're from, ask them where they're from. If you've never heard how they became a Christian, ask maybe how they became a Christian. If, if you're looking for... Questions because you don't have any other questions, ask them what they've asked them what they've been reading in the Bible lately. Or ask them, hey, what's the best book you've ever read? I mean, whatever question you want to talk about, it's, it's great. Hopefully it's gonna gravitate towards something about God and Jesus and something spiritual. Mm-hmm. But get to know somebody, grow in community with each other. Because you are, are part of what God uses, what the Holy Spirit uses to help other people be fruitful, which is what God puts you here to do. Because He wants people to look at your life and see the fruit. And he wants people to see your fruitfulness and say, man, the God who planted that fruit tree that's producing that kind of fruit, he must be a pretty amazing God. That's why you exist. That's why you're here. And that's what we'll talk about tomorrow. Let me pray for us. So Father God, would you, over the course of this weekend, Father, would you cause us to grow in our love for you? Would you cause us to grow in our amazement of Jesus and his work? On the cross, would you cause us to grow in our, our love for one another and our community with one another? The Holy Spirit would use that community to increase our fruitfulness. That people would
0: look at us and they would praise you. Praise all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.